Oh, well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. So glad to have you with us today. You always know, if you're the second crowd, you always know if you're trying to come in here and the first crowd hasn't left yet, it's going to be a good one. So we're glad to have you with us today. Uh, If you're a guest with us, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you today worshiping the Lord with us. I want to begin by reading some scripture to us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What the scripture is telling us is that as the people of God, covered under the grace of God, we can, by God's grace, go boldly into his presence. You don't have to sheepishly or passively enter into the Lord in prayer, you can go boldly and confidently. I think about my kids. So here at the office here, if someone wants, if my door is closed, I'm working, and someone wants to talk to me about something, you know, I get a, you got a minute? Yeah, yeah, sure, come on in. And, and everyone in the world does that, except for four people. Those are my kids. Right, they just, kaboom, right? They just bust in. Like, like they're serving a warrant or something. Just, Why? Why do they do that? Because they know. That's, that's my dad's office. I can go in there anytime I want to. And if, and if for whatever reason I can't talk to him right now, he's going to say, hey, give me a second. I'll be right back. Hang on. In the same way, you can boldly, Hebrews 4 tells you, go with confidence to the throne room of grace knowing that that is the only place you're going to find grace to help in your time of need. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. I want to pray for us as we begin our time today. Is there something that is hindering you from boldly entering into the presence of God? Maybe it's sin, which indeed needs to be repented of. Maybe there is sin that causes you trepidation to go to the Lord in prayer. That's actually a pretty good reason. You need to repent of that and turn from that. Maybe it's a lie about God that you believe. God's angry with you. God's disappointed with you. God's, you know, always looking for you to mess up. It's just a lie. You need to ask God to scrub that. You would replace it with truth. I want to encourage you today, have it said in your mind that you can boldly confidence go in to the throne room of God grab a hold of the chair leg and refuse to let go until he grants you the grace you need so Lord I just pray for us today that that's the heart and attitude in which we come today I pray Lord that we would just again by your grace right now today come with bold confidence into your presence 
because we know we've been covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. We are your children. You love us and you desire us to come near. So we do. I pray, Jesus, that you would do this in us today for your glory. In your name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you right now to put feet to your prayer. What I mean by that is, so we say right now when we just prayed that we can boldly come with confidence to the throne of grace. I want to encourage you to practically do that right now in how you sing. Don't sing passively or sheepishly, mumbling the words. You are entering into the presence of God to praise and worship His glorious name. So do that with boldness and confidence. Sing with volume. Sing with enthusiasm. Sing with a heart filled with praise to God. Let's lift our voices to Him because He is worthy of it. And we can come with boldness because of the grace of God covering us by faith in Jesus. Let's sing.
Your constant 
It's pretty.
minds again on that scripture that I read earlier Hebrews 4 15 and 16 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need I just want you to take some time here this morning again just to kind of Envision that happening for you. Going into the throne of grace because you've been covered under the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God is on you so you can now enter into his presence as your good dad and seek him for help. When it says there in that first verse 15 that we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but has been at all points tempted like us. Whatever your fear, your struggle, your sin, your temptation, Jesus experienced that and conquered that. So two things. Number one, he has great sympathy, right? He understands how strong that temptation, that struggle, that fear, that failure is. So one, you can go to him with confidence because he's not standing there with arms crossed and finger pointed and, oh, so disappointed. He understands. But then that second part, he understands and went through that without sin. If you're struggling with something, you don't go to someone who consistently fails at the same thing and ask them for advice. You go to someone who struggled with that, conquered that, and you ask them, how'd you do that? Help me. And that's the idea that we're getting at here in this Hebrews 4 passage. It's Jesus, A, has great sympathy. He understands what's in your heart right now. He understands that. You don't have to hide that or camouflage that. He understands. And then secondly, B, he is the only one able to help you because he is the only one who has 100% conquered that very thing. And so we get to run after him with confidence, drawing near, seeking mercy and help in our time of need. So take just a minute. Again, set your heart before the Lord with that. 
Thank Jesus for his sympathy. Thank Jesus for his victory. Seek him for mercy and help. ask you, Lord God, that you would do what only you can do. I pray, God, that we would seek you for help and not depend on our own strength, but just seek you. Believe that you're going to accomplish what only you can accomplish for your glory. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible, let's find 2 Chronicles chapter 20. All right, chapter 20 is where we're going to be. So we're in a series we're calling If My People. It comes from a verse in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen that says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. And what we're really going after is revival. Revival. What does it mean to be revived by God? And so a little working definition that we've been using over the last several weeks is that revival is the Spirit of God using the Word of God to put fresh spiritual life into the people of God. What we're looking for with revival is this. If you're sick of status quo, if you're sick of being spiritually apathetic, If you're sick and tired of the same old sins tripping you up and you desire something fresh and new, then you're desiring a revival of God's Spirit in your life. And and on the flip side, I'll just say this. Um, If you're looking for a church where you can come and you can sit and you can hear some encouraging words, but nothing really um, draw you to the deep things of God and nothing convicts you about living apathetic in any way toward the glories of God, you're going to want to find a new place because that's not our heart here. Our heart here is that we would be different. Our heart here is that we would pursue God in a deep and profound way and that he would allow all spiritual apathy and sin to be ripped away from us so that we can just worship him fully for all he's worth. And so as we're going through Second Chronicles Looking at this idea of revival, I want to read for you a quote from a guy named Ronnie Floyd. Here's what Dr. Floyd says about revival. True revival, true revival will be akin to spiritual seismic activity, shaking us to our core, allowing us to see the profound overtake the profane with the promise that our lives will never be the same. This is what we're after. And so as we've been seeking the Lord for that, we've seen a few things over the last several weeks. This is week four in our series through the book of 2 Chronicles. And so we've seen so far a few things. Number one, our foundation is that revival is based on our relationship with Christ. When you trust by faith in Christ, you enter into a covenant relationship with God. And even though you fail and you fall and you stumble and you grow apathetic and kind of spiritually inept and lukewarm, even though that does on time happen to you, God has never left. He is true to his covenant. 
so that when you see that apathy in that spiritual lukewarmness and convicted of that, you can repent of that, turn from that, turn to the Lord, and He's never left you. Right? That's the point. Your, re- your revival is based on your relationship with God through faith in Christ that allows this covenant to be unbreaking and unyielding. And God will always hold His end of the covenant. So it's, it's simple for us to turn to Him and be revived. And, and then we looked at a couple of tools God uses to bring this revival out in us. Humility and seeking His face. We define humility as emptying yourself to be nothing so that God can be everything. And seeking God's face means to set aside everything in your life in order to pursue intimacy with Him. God uses these things, humility and seeking His face, to draw us to revival with Him. And we're going to see another one today, another tool used by God. So if you look at that 2 Corinthians 7, 14 verse, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. Pray. So today we're going to look at prayer, what prayer is, how prayer is used by God to bring revival, Um, what revival praying is not, what kind of praying is not going to bring revival, and what kind of praying will, by God's grace, bring revival. All right. So in order to do that, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 20, and we're going to look at the life of a man named Jehoshaphat. All right. If you're looking for good baby names, it's a Bible name. Jehoshaphat. So here's the thing with Jehoshaphat. So he reigned in Judah after his father Asa. And 2 Chronicles 17 says that he walked in the ways of the Lord. He was a good and righteous king. However, Jehoshaphat was not perfect. He was a little immature. He said and did some dumb things. Four different times in his life, God had to send a prophet to rebuke him or correct him about something. Right? Okay, Jehoshaphat. Hi. You're my boy, but quit doing a dumb thing, all right? I need you to do this, right? Four times. However, even though he wasn't perfect, even though he had some immaturity, even though he had some things he needed to change in his life, Jehoshaphat is seen as a successful king, and Judah was successful under his reign for one reason. Jehoshaphat was a man of prayer. He did not lead Judah well because he was supremely wise. He did not lead Judah well because he was a gifted administrator and king or because he was some great valiant warrior. Jehoshaphat led Judah well because Jehoshaphat prayed fervently. Same thing for us. When we're desiring to see things happen in our life or in those that we love, That battle is not going to be won because we have the better argument or because it just makes sense to us or because we're able to, you know, guilt them into a thing. The battle will be won through prayer. And that's what we're going to see with Jehoshaphat here. He was a powerful man of prayer and his prayers brought unbelievable fruit into his people. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we pick it up. There And there is a foreign army seeking to come in and destroy Judah. They are bigger, they are badder, they are stronger, and Judah does not stand a chance. They are hopeless, they are helpless, they are not going to win this thing. Not in a billion years. They are going to be wiped off the planet. And what does Jehoshaphat do as a response? He pursues God with prayer and fasting. And this is step one we want to see then. This is how Jehoshaphat responded. Look at verse 3. Then 
Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He was what? Afraid. So quick question. What do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when bad times hit? What do you do when everything falls apart? What you do in bad times actually is the greatest indicator of what's truly in your heart. We all can be good in good times. That's not difficult, right? When family is good and work is good and finances are good and health is good, relationships are good, things are just clicking on all cylinders. It's easy to be like, I love the Lord. Almost sort of like Satan with God over Job. Well, of course he loves you and serves you. My goodness, look what you gave him. But what happens, like Job, when your money is gone, your kids are gone, and all God leaves you with is a wife that says, why don't you just curse God and die? It'd be better for us all if you just off yourself. That's all he's left with. Okay, now Job, what comes out of your heart? The heart is sort of like a tea bag, right? So you got a, a tea bag. The only way for the flavor in that tea bag to get released is if it's placed in boiling hot water. Same with your heart. The only way to really see what's truly in your heart is to have it dropped in the boiling hot water of life. And then what's really in there starts to come out. And we see for Jehoshaphat, his heart is placed in boiling hot water. An invading army is coming. They're going to kill him. They're going to wipe his family off the planet. And they're going to enslave his people. It is going to go bad fast. And what does Jehoshaphat do? He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. To set his face means to he, he devoted himself. To set your face to something means you totally lock in on it and you devote yourself. You don't turn to the right, you don't turn to the left. You only do this. And it says he set his face to seek the Lord. That word seek means to chase, to pursue, to go after. He is chasing after God. Fasting and praying, seeking after him. Jehoshaphat was not just talking to God. Again, if, if you've been in church for long, you probably heard prayer referred to as just talking to God. And on one level, that is true and accurate. And on another level, can we just chat for a moment? If you want to see God do something miraculous and supernatural, you chit-chatting with him ain't going to cut it. That's not revival praying. You having a chat with God in the morning before you do the rest of the thing that you want to do that day is not seeking his face in prayer. James chapter 4 does not say the half-hearted chit-chat of the righteous accomplishes much. James 4 says, the fervent prayer of the righteous accomplishes much. Fervent, passionate pursuit and chasing God in prayer. Devoting, seeking, chasing, running after God in prayer. This is what does that. This is Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. 
boldly, confidently grabbing onto the throne of grace and saying, I will not let go until I get the grace I need. That's not a half-hearted chit-chat, checking up and checking in with God before you go through your day. It's about pursuing and chasing God in prayer. Not only that, but it says that he fasted. So let's chat about fasting just for a quick second. So on a basic level, fasting is uh, not eating food, right? Um, but you can do that for earthly reasons. I'm sure there are many in the room that have had to fast for medical reasons, for a procedure. Uh, you can fast for political reasons, right? Gandhi uh, did a hunger strike, right? Um, or your four-year-old, right? Hunger strike, right? I will not eat that. Okay. But biblical fasting is different. Biblical fasting is not just not eating food. Biblical fasting is, and I get a little working definition, setting aside the natural so that the supernatural can happen. Fasting is about saying, as much as I physically need and crave and want food, That is true. And that's not a bad thing, right? God gave that to you. Your body works that way, like just choosing not to eat. God is not telling you just don't eat, okay? Fasting is saying, as much as I need and crave and want food, I need and crave and want God more. So I'm willing to set this aside for a season so I can just seek God. It's about you setting aside the natural so that you can finally seek and pursue and see the supernatural take place. Could it be, brothers and sisters, the reason we don't see unbelievable answers to prayer is because our hearts are too chained to the fleshly, natural things of this world. And fasting is the tool given to us by God to break those chains so that your heart can finally be free to fly to him. Your heart is chained to this world. And when you say, I'm not going to eat for a season, whether that be one meal, two meal, one day, three days, whatever, I'm not going to eat. When those hunger pains come, and they're going to, I fasted many times for significant lengths of time. I'll just say that. There's never been a time where God just supernaturally made me not hungry. I was hungry all the time. Which is going to be the point? The point is not that fasting is easy. It is extraordinarily difficult. What you're going to learn when you fast is, number one, how much of the world just revolves around food. Right? When you decide to fast, everybody you've been trying to eat lunch with for a year and a half is going to call you all in one day. Hey, we've been trying to hook up. You want to get together? Yes, I really do want to with all of my heart, but I can't. And when the hunger pains come, and they're going to come, the point of that is for you to say, as much as I want food and crave food and physically, truly, legitimately need food, I want and I need and I crave God more. So God, give me more of you. Man does not live by bread alone. So you got to cut off the bread. And I don't mean like good carb, bad carb, all right? That's what I'm talking about. I mean, you've got to break free of this world. And fasting does that.
Um, Dr. Wayne Grudem, theologian, says this, Most Western Christians do not fast. But if we were willing to fast more regularly, even for one or two meals, we might be surprised at how much more spiritual power and strength we would have in our lives and in our churches. Uh, Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, says this, I believe the power of fasting as it relates to prayer is the spiritual atomic bomb that our Lord has given us to destroy the strongholds of evil and usher in a great revival and spiritual harvest around the world. The point I want you to see is this. If you want to see things you've never seen, you're going to have to start doing things you've never done. It's like that with losing weight, getting out of debt. You want to see a different result, you got to put in different actions. Same thing spiritually. You want to see God do unbelievable things, then you've got to seek Him, chase Him, pursue Him in prayer and fasting like you, up to this point, have not done. you got to seek Him. You got to pursue him. You got to chase him. You got to fast. You got to seek after the Lord here and see what great and mighty things he can do. Is your heart chasing God like that? Okay, so then let's look at what happens when we pray. So let's look at Jehoshaphat's prayer. So he's afraid, he sets his face to seek the Lord in prayer and fasting, and look at how he prays. Um, I want you to notice a couple of things. First is this. you got to set your heart and your mind on God, not your problem. All right? First of all, it's about setting your heart and mind on God, not your problem. This is what Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat did not see the army freak out and immediately go, God, kill him. He didn't do that. First thing he did was set his heart on meditating on how good and faithful God is before he ever asked him for a thing. Look at that in verse 6. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. I want you to see that Jehoshaphat doesn't begin with himself, he begins with God. He doesn't begin with his problem, he begins with God. What we're going to see as we go through 2 Chronicles 20 is this prayer is very God-centered, not Jehoshaphat-centered. So here's the difference between the, the praying we always do and the actual revival praying God does. Okay, Revival praying is focused on God, centered on God, and for the glory of God. It's about God and His kingdom, God and His fame, God and His glory being made much of. Not things just going better for me. Many times when we pray, we sound like Baruch Assault from Willy Wonka, right? I want to go to Houston. I want to... No. God, give me this. I want this. 
Think about it. Here's how crazy it is. It is possible for you and I to pray and it make us more fleshly and more carnal and more selfish than it does more godly and more dependent on the Lord. Here's how. It's like driving a car. You drift where you're looking. If you're looking here, you drift that way. You're looking here, you drift that way. Here it is with your prayer life. If you pray, but your prayers are focused on you, your heart's just going to drift more towards you. So you can pray, but it just makes you worse. It just makes you more godless, more selfish, more arrogant, more consumed with you. Because when you pray, you're just focused on you, and so your heart's going to drift towards you. This is why we see here with Jehoshaphat. This is why in Matthew 6, Jesus taught us to pray first. Focusing on God, who God is, God's glory, God's worth, God's majesty, God's beauty, God's power. We focus on him, not us. It's about him, not me. Real revival praying is focused on God. I want to see God do what only God can do, so my heart needs to be set on God. Not me, not my problem. We think also about Scripture like Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I'll read it to you. This is a verse that we talk about often when we, say, when we talk about prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So a lot of times we'll read that verse and we go, well, there it is. Pray and God will give you peace. So you go through the act of praying, and you don't get peace. You're like, that didn't work. Well, because you missed a couple of steps. There are actually a couple of qualifiers in here that we skip over. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but be thankful towards me. And then with that, make your request known, and I will give you peace, which passes all understanding. So stop being anxious. Stop focusing on the thing that's freaking you out. Don't have your eyes there. Don't focus on this world. Don't focus on the problem. Don't focus on you. Stop being so anxious and consumed with you. Instead, be thankful to God. Regardless of what the answer is going to be, regardless of what he's going to do, my heart, my mind, my affections are toward him. I thank you, God, for who you are, your glory, your praise, your power, your honor. I thank you for being you. So as you take your mind off of you and set it on God and who he is in the context of that now you present your request to God and the peace of God that passes all earthly understanding will now guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus you see the difference it's not just going to the ashes so often we just freak out say amen and call it prayer it's not prayer prayer It's a tool used by God to shape you more and more and more into the image of God. And in order for that to happen, your mind, your thoughts, your affections, your desires have to be on God. This is what Jehoshaphat did. This is revival bringing prayer. Prayer that is focused on God and God's glory and God's name and God's fame and God being honored and glorified. This is revival praying. So as that's our hearts... That's our desire if that is where it is. Now we come to another piece where we do want to present our needs to God. And we see Jehoshaphat doing that. Pick it up in verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, 
whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So he's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 2. So in Deuteronomy 2, the people of God are going to the promised land. And if you're familiar, they go through and they're um, conquering land. So they come up on um, the people of Ammon and Moab. They're the descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob. So God says, all right, since they're the descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob, um, your father, um, leave them alone. I'm going to give them Mount Seir. I want that to be their inheritance. Don't go near them. Don't talk. Like, don't even, he literally says in Deuteronomy 2, don't even put one foot on their land. Don't go over and say hi. Don't do anything. You walk around them. You leave them alone. That's what I'm giving them. So they obey and do that. And then Jehoshaphat's like, this is how they reward us for that? Wait, we obey God and don't kill you, so now you reward us by disobeying God and trying to kill us? And what does he say, verse 12? Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? Here's what I want you to see. As we talk about revival praying, um, Jehoshaphat had no problem presenting his request to God. We've got to get out of this mindset that, well, God knows what's going to happen, so I'm just going to trust him, so I'm not going to pray for anything. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are to faithfully, fervently present our requests to God. And yes, God is sovereign. He is in perfect control of all creation. There is not one rebellious molecule in the universe that escapes his ultimate will and purpose. That is absolutely true. And at the same time, God clearly says he desires to bring his will about on earth through your prayers. And James 3 says, listen, there are things in this world you have not seen and experienced solely because you haven't asked God for them. I don't know how that works. If you call me up this week and ask me to explain it, my answer to you is going to be, I have no idea how God is totally, completely sovereign and works through the voluntary prayers of his people. How does that work? I don't know. But I know that it does. And I know that God calls us to pray. And I want to encourage you, again, talk about this chit-chat prayer versus revival prayer. We've got to get away from this, this, this just weak pointless, worthless praying of just, God, just help us, bless us, be with us today, give us a good day, Lord, keep us safe, amen. God's like, okay. What you see in the Bible, from the great men and women of God in the Bible, what you see from the great men, women and women of God throughout Christian history is they didn't pray that kind of prayer. They prayed bold, specific, 
pointed, massive, mountain-moving kind of prayers. Prayers where they're like crawling out on a limb, sawing out behind them and going, Catch me, Lord. Bold praying. Faithful praying. And God answers this. The, the, the illustration that came to my mind this week, kind of thinking through this, is, is a farmer. Right? So... Um, a farmer cannot make it rain, and a farmer cannot make a seed germinate. Right? A, far, a farmer cannot make a crop grow. And at the same time, I've never in my life met a lazy farmer. They don't exist. Right? I've never met a farmer that just walked out, threw some seed on the ground, like, all right, I'm going to go inside, sit on the couch, and watch Housewives of Atlanta. It's never happened. It's never happened. Even though a farmer cannot make a crop grow, they work hard. They till the field. They work the land. They make sure they plant in a certain way, very strategically. This seed and this season and this kind of soil. And this, they, they know what to put in and how to fertilize. They work hard. They do every single thing within their power to try to make a harvest grow. Then they go home. They bow their head and they say, God, you got to make it rain and you got to make that seed grow. I can't do that part. They do all that they can and then they trust God to do what only he can do. This is our prayer lives. True revival bringing kind of prayer. It could be that you're not seeing a very good harvest from prayers because you're not planting very good seed in prayer. What are you praying for? What's your prayer list look like? What big, only God can do kind of things in your hearts and in the hearts of those that you know and love are you praying for? Only God can do this. So God, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. You do what only you can do. And then you trust God in his sovereignty and you sleep well. That's how you pray like a farmer. Pray like a farmer. Plant big seeds of faith and prayer. And then trust God to do his work and sleep well. Do you pray big enough prayers? No more vague general prayers. No more, Lord, do this or bless us or keep us safe or help us, blah, blah, blah. Plant big prayers so God has something to work with to bring a great harvest. That's how we see revival. That's how it happens. Uh, next piece I want you to see is faith. Right? It's not just saying the words. It's actually living and trusting by faith. We've got to live and pray by faith. This is what Jehoshaphat is doing. So as Jehoshaphat is praying, look at the faith and total dependence on God he's going to exhibit. All right? So look at verse 12 again. O God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde. That is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So then a prophet comes and speaks to uh, Judah in verse 15. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. I love this line, underlined it. For the battle is not yours, but God's. And then he goes on in verse 17. 
You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And the response of Jehoshaphat and Judah was just to fall on their face and worship and praise God. And look what Jehoshaphat says to his people in verse 20. And they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Look at this. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. That word believe means to be supported by something. It's the same word used for like a pillar that would hold up like a, 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 a roof, a building. Throw your total support and trust on God. Let him be the pillar that holds you up, not you. You give yourself totally to him, living and praying by faith. God, I just throw myself on you. If you don't do this, it won't be done. We need you. And not only does he just pray the prayer, he actually does it. Because sometimes, not you, I'm sure you've never done this, just me. You pray something, and like you, you think you're praying it by faith, right? Okay, I really trust you for this, God. And then you get up, and you walk away, and you totally live in your own strength and not trusting God in any way in a practical sense, right? So you prayed the prayer, but you never actually put feet to it. That's not what Jehoshaphat did. Look what he did, verse 21. He puts together the worst battle plan in the history of the world just to show that he trusts God. 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. Who had come against Judah so that they were routed. So Jehoshaphat has this army coming against him. God says, you don't have to fight. I'm going to fight for you. Believe me and see my victory. So Jehoshaphat's like, okay, well, we're going to trust the Lord. So here's what we're going to do. Praise band, get in the front of the line. Yes, load up, let's go, right? Drums, guitar, everything, get in the front. Singers, you now, front of the line. And what they do literally is they're saying, okay, God says he's going to do something. We believe he's going to do it. So we're just going to have a praise and worship service and watch him do his thing. We're just going to stand back and praise God. And let God do his work. I mean, pastor, come on. Yes, we're going to trust the Lord. But at the same time, God doesn't want us to be stupid. I mean, God. God gave us a brain. God wants us to have a safety net just in case. Because, I mean, who knows? Jehoshaphat could have done that. He could have been like, okay, absolutely. God's going to do it. We trust the Lord. Absolutely, 100%. Tell you what, just to be on the safe side, um, let's get our best warriors and put them on the front line. Just to be safe. Just in case God doesn't do it the way we think he's going to do it. Let's just hedge our bets. He doesn't do that. He puts the dude with skinny jeans that writes poetry in the front of the line. And what happened? 
God brought victory. Faith. Let's just, just for a second, let's chat about faith in prayer. Faith matters in your prayers. The point is not that you just go through the process of saying, God, do a thing. Do you legitimately trust God to do it? When I'm praying this, I am believing God is doing the work. I want to show you some things. I'm going to give you some scripture. I'm going to throw a whole bunch of verses at you. If you want them, let me know. I can send them to you. But I'm just going to go through a whole bunch. Matthew 9, 2. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Matthew 9, 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Matthew 9, 28 and 29, then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. Matthew 15, 28, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. Matthew 17, 20, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith faith. Mark, Mark 2, 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Mark 10, 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Luke 7, 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke 17, 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Luke 18, 42, and Jesus said to him, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And that's just the first 20 or 25 I could think of. Faith does something here. True, legitimate faith in God Placing yourself under God as the pillar to hold you up. I trust you to do this. I've got no other recourse but you. That's revival praying. And for the record, we'll flip the other side of the coin. Um, The Bible is also clear that a lack of faith is a really big deal. Matthew 13, 58. He, that's Jesus, did not do many mighty works there. Because of their unbelief. Mark 6, 6. And he could not do mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then Hebrews three nineteen, referring to the Israelites in the Old Testament. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You not trusting God is a really big deal. And you not trusting God will hinder your prayers from being answered. Now again, we're not in the camp that's like, you know, if you don't see a prayer answered, it's because you lacked faith, and I guess your faith isn't strong enough, and you need to... That's not what I'm saying. And I love the story in the Gospel of Mark where a dad brings a son to Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, anything is possible for those who believe, and the dad responds, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. I love that because he's not saying that unbelief is okay. What he's saying is, I trust you, Jesus, but the truth is, I want even more. I want to trust you even more. Help me have even more faith. Your faith in God, 
Your faith that God will do what he has promised to do is pivotal in seeing your revival prayers answered. And we see that's what happened to them. You see the, the end goal because of their God-centered, faith-filled, fervent, pointed prayer, God moved. Look again at verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. God miraculously brought a victory without Judah having to raise a finger. And then look down at verse 27. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. And then verse 30, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. Um, that verse 30, when it says God gave him rest, that's the Hebrew word shalom, maybe you're familiar with that. And, and you may understand that shalom means peace, but it's a little more than that. Our, our English word peace is the best translation we have, but it's, it's not complete. Shalom isn't just peace like um, people stop trying to kill them. The word shalom means God's peace. It literally translated out as sort of peace, peace, ultimate peace, peace upon peace, double peace, quadruple peace, God's giving peace. What we see here in verse 30 is they're telling you Judah saw revival. Judah saw God bringing peace and rest and joy and fulfillment to his people because they sought him in God-centered, God-saturated, faith-filled, fervent, passionate, pointed, big prayer. And God answered. God answered. So what about us? What about us? How do we pray? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And um, I want you to see that prayer is an indispensable part of revival. You can't have a revival of God without prayer. John 14, 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Um, so, again, if you've been around church and you've heard teachings on prayer, oftentimes we get filled with all these questions, right? Well, is this God's will? And does God really want to do this? And should I even be praying this prayer? And, and, and what if God doesn't answer this prayer? And what if I don't have enough faith? And, and what if my heart's not pure enough? Good questions, questions that the Bible is going to lead us to ask. Those aren't bad. But oftentimes I think we can get so wrapped up in those sorts of questions that, listen, we just talk ourselves out of praying. We just talk ourselves out of it. We question this and we question that and we pick this apart and we pick that apart and we finally just kind of get to the point where we're like, I don't know, God knows, so I'm just going to whatever. I want to encourage you today. Again, those aren't bad questions and those are good questions to ask and that's wonderful. But I'm going to ask you today, would you be so inclined to set all those questions aside just seek God in prayer. And we're going to give you a chance to do that right now. 
We're not going to have the band sing. We're not going to ask you to sing. We're going to ask you to pray. We're going to ask you to start right now and seek the Lord in prayer. Will you begin right now lifting God-centered, faith-filled, fervent, pointed prayers for revival. Big prayers that only God's going to be able to do. And then you trust Him, praying like a good farmer. You till the soil of your heart. You set your mind and affections on God and God alone. You plant the seed of big prayers. You do all that you can in that. And you go home, you lay your head down, and you trust God to do what only God can do. I'm going to give you a chance right now to do that. You can pray right where you are. You can come up front here. If you want to get up and find someone and pray with them, you can do that. But I just want to give you time right now to pray. So Lord, I start this just by, uh, for me, and, and I assume for everyone else, but I'll just start with me and confess on behalf of others, God. All the times that I have let my prayer life just go on autopilot and I have not really pursued you in prayer. I've not been faithful in that. I've just lifted up some things on a sheet of paper. I pray you'll forgive me of that and for those in the room that would echo that confession. And God, I pray today that we would start seeking you by lifting up God-saturated, faith-filled, fervent, passionate, pointed, big prayers for revival, for your kingdom to come and your will be done right here on this earth as it is in heaven. Start doing that in us today, right now. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Take just some time right now.
Lord God, our desire to begin right now chasing after you with God-centered, faith-filled, passionate, fervent, pointed, big prayers. I pray over your people right here. I pray that you'll begin with me and pour out over every person in Southview Baptist Church that you would make us a people fervent, passionate in prayer. That we would seek you in prayer. And that we would see many, many answers to our prayers. I ask this of you, God. I pray that we would see much harvest seeking you. Do this, God, for your glory. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so, so much, guys. Hey, listen, as we, as we wrap up and finish today, a couple of quick things. Number one, uh, if you're a guest with us, welcome, man. We're so glad that you're here. We'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is to text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. And then for everyone, we've got our big three announcements. Every week we do our big three announcements that kind of covers as many people as possible to what's going on here. Uh, first, our joy group. That's our senior adult ministry. They're having a Valentine's lunch, February 14th at 1130 you'd like to sign up for that, you can go down this hall here. There's a sign-up sheet. You can sign up on the board uh, so you can know how many to expect uh, to attend and prepare for. Uh, second, ladies. So our ladies retreat, that's going to be March 9th to the 12th. Uh, you can sign up for that. Ladies, I will tell you, spots are filling extraordinarily quickly. So if you have been on the fence as to whether or not you want to go, I want to encourage you, today's going to want to be the day that you text beach, all right? Because I cannot guarantee that they're still available next weekend, okay? Uh, They're going fast. I encourage you to hop in. It's going to be a remarkable weekend, March 9th to the 12th. You can text BEACH to sign up and put in your deposit. And then, guys, this coming Saturday, 8 o'clock, we're going to have a men's breakfast right here at the church. Uh, You can text the word BREAKFAST to sign up for that, all right? Let me pray for us, and I'll let you go. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, God, for your grace. I thank you, God, for your work. I thank you, God, for all that you're accomplishing in us, your people. I ask you, God, again, that you would be so kind and gracious to answer our prayer. And the prayer is that we would be a people of prayer. We ask you, God, that you would allow us to be faith-filled, fervent, passionate seekers of you and And that by your grace, we're going to see the answers to a lot of prayers. Thank you, God. We trust you for this. We need you for this. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.